IB Talk, the global insurance industry podcast presented by Insurance Business. Hello, everyone, and welcome to IB Talk, the insurance industry's global podcast. I'm your host, Paul Lucas, and if there is one thing that the industry has been talking about continually for the last several years, it would be tech, tech, tech. Yes, the sector's technological evolution was in full swing even prior to the COVID-19 pandemic, whether that was through innovations like telematics, AI, or the implementation of blockchain. However, it's fair to say those digital efforts have moved up a gear ever since those lockdown restrictions were implemented. So now, with a potential end in sight, where does the insurance industry go next? How can it ensure it's ahead of the game and not caught out by anything unexpected in the future? Uh, Today, I'm joined by a man who has more than three decades of experience in the sector, but is very much on top of the latest trends and innovations. That man is an advisor, a mentor, a conference speaker, co-author of the InsureTech book and even a former athlete. Uh, But today he's most widely known as the director of insurance for EMEA at Pegasystems, Tony Tarquini. Um, Tony, welcome to IB Talk. Oh, thanks very much indeed, Paul. I'm very much looking forward to, uh, to our chat. Um, So, Tony, we have to start, I guess, with what I just referenced there, that being your athletic career. It's not often that I talk to somebody in the insurance industry with that sort of background. Um, Can you shed some light on that for us? I believe you were a hurdler. Is that right? Absolutely correct. Yes, a long time ago now. um, But I was was an international 400-meter hurdler um, for the best part of 10 years, I suppose. Um, uh, The... um, the opportunity to, to compete around the, the European circuit, which these days is known as the, the Diamond League. Um, and um, I was uh, I was competing at the days when uh, potentially one of the well, the world's best athlete um, of all time was, was competing, a guy called Ed Moses, um, who went for seven years without being beaten, uh, 122 races, um, and the very first man ever in the world to, to be able to run um, the 400-meter hurdles with only 13 strides in between every hurdle. Um, so I competed against Ed uh, on a number of occasions, and um, uh, probably everybody else in the world top 50, something like that. So it was it was a fun time and something I look back on with uh, with a lot of fondness. It's been an incredible experience. What what made you stop? Uh, old age. Um, <laughs> People, uh, people have a finite life as, as an international uh, athlete, um, and frankly, I was getting to the stage where the 18-year-olds were, were getting a little bit too close, um, so I decided to, to retire gracefully um, and uh, take up my working life. Um, yeah, I was supporting a family, and uh, I had a personal career that I wanted to, to pursue, um, so I made the switch from, from, from athletics over to, um, to, a, to a business career. Well, tell us a little bit about how um, that sort of experience that you've had in athletics translates to insurance. I mean, is there any crossover there at all? Oh, yeah, there's, there's a, a huge number of learnings from, from sport which can be uh, applied into, into a business context. Um, you know, uh, some, some examples of that are things like uh, being able to, to identify um, people with talent and, and work with them. Um, you know, when uh, when I was, well, let's see, 14 years old, uh, I came across a young uh, a young athlete, same age as me, 14, um, and I looked at him and I thought, that is somebody who moves in a completely different way to anybody I have ever seen in my life. 
Um, and I subsequently asked who he was and found out he was a young boy by the name of Daley Thompson, who went on to become the um, twice Olympic decathlon champion. Um, and, uh, you know, I, I was fortunate that I was um, of an age where um, I came of, came of age during the golden days of athletics. So in, in my year in the um, UK uh, junior athletics team, we had uh, Sebastian Coe and Steve Avet and Daley Thompson and a whole variety of other people who went on to, to fantastic things. Um, but you can see those things and being able to spot people who you can see are going to go on to greater things um, is, is really important. It's important in business. It's important in sport. Um, I think a, a thirst for knowledge is also very important. Um, never stop asking questions and always be prepared to innovate and pivot and change. Um, that's very certainly the, the case in sport. And while there might be a reticence sometimes to do that in, in business, um, I think it's really important to, to personally continue to grow um, and to, to never accept that what happens today is acceptable for tomorrow. You've always got to be moving on to, to bigger and better things. Um, and I think probably the hardest, the, the third thing is, is, is hard work, um, making sure that uh, you put in the graph. I, w I was never the most talented athlete in the world, but one thing I did know that is if I worked really hard, I could maximize my own abilities. Um, and I look back on my athletics career of, well, it was 16 years in total now, and I think I probably might have been, if, I, if I'd really, really worked, uh, done a few other things differently, might have been able to squeeze a, another couple of tenths of a second out of what I was doing. Um, but overall, I think I probably maxed out on my on my talent simply because I, I put in a hard graft to, to get there. And the same applies to business as well. Um, you're, you're, you're delivered a, a set of cards. It's a question of how you play them and, and how hard you work, want to work to it. Yeah, I think that's that's terrific advice. And, and you know, you talked about sort of growth there. Tell us about how your career grew, because, I mean, you, like you said, you made the switch to, to business. And I know that you worked in a variety of roles from, from marketing manager. You worked for a consultancy firm. Uh, you worked for the Computer Sciences Corporation. So how did insurance become a focus? Uh, well, like everybody who works in the insurance industry, Paul, it, I fell into insurance by accident. Um I was I was working in technology and um, I took a role as marketing manager in a, a broken software house um, and uh, I thought well that's, that's interesting um, I needed a job at the time so I thought yeah that that looks like a uh, a good place to be particularly in the software industry because hardware was still a big thing at the time but uh, software seemed to be the future um, I ended up working for uh, it was so long ago I tell you the name of the company was Mini Computer Commercial Software in the days when mini computers were still a thing. Um, so that was a long, long time ago. Um, I met my, my mentor there who, um, who helped me through six years of, of learning about the insurance industry. Um, I cut my teeth in the, in the broking market. Um, thoroughly enjoyed that element of it. Um, ended up, uh, as you say, working for, for Computer Sciences Corporation, which is at the time probably the, the largest um, insurance IT company in, in the world. Um, thoroughly enjoyed that element of it and and i've stayed within the industry a friend of mine told me when i first came into it you know insurance is a nice industry and once you're in you probably won't want to leave and i thought it was a very strange thing to say because i've worked in different industries and whatever um 35 years later here i am um in exactly the same situation the same same um industry and he retired a few years ago and, and i rang him up and said martin do you remember what you said to me when i came into the industry and uh, I reminded him and he said, uh, yeah, well, I was right, wasn't I? Because you're still here and I'm just retiring. So I did the same thing. 
It's amazing how many stories there are like that of people who sort of find their way into the insurance industry, but uh, but but definitely don't want to leave once they're part of it. Um, it's, it's it's a fascinating it's, industry, Paul. A fascinating yeah, industry. Absolutely. And and tell us, I mean, why you've sort of chosen to to focus on on the tech side of things, and and, and tell us a little bit about your role as well at Pegasystems now and, and what you're doing there. Well, I find um, the tech side of insurance um, infinitely challenging. Um, you know that as fast as you get hold of a technology in your head and understand what it's all about, the next thing comes along. So that, in, that ability to constantly change and innovate is, is, is always there. Um, so I love that challenge and, and um, that, that opportunity to continue to, to, to learn. Um, my role within um, PEGA is as the director of insurance. So that is all about our go-to-market. So it's understanding what's happening out in the industry, formulating that back into the business about how we respond to that, what software do we need, how will that deliver benefit to our customers, and then supporting our marketing and our sales teams to take those um, messages and take those solutions out to the market um, and, and discuss that with our, our customers. Um, and, you know, I've, I've had a um, wonderful time traveling throughout Europe for, for the last uh, well, sort of nine years that I've been with PEGA meeting insurers from, from all different areas of insurance, from all different countries, from, from the Nordics through um, uh, the, the middle parts of Europe right down to, to the Mediterranean, all with different attitudes, different business models, um, different parts of insurance from you know, um, uh, life insurance companies to general to personal and, and into uh, London market specialists and niche um, industries. So it's infinitely variable. Um, and the technology and the solutions are subtly different in each area of that. Um, so it's a fascinating role and, and one that's uh, provided me with a challenge that I, I love to have. And it's it's been such a you know, fascinating role for you that you've even written a book about it. Like I said at the top there, you were the co-author of, of the InsureTech book. Tell us a little bit about your um, inspiration for that and, and how successful has the book been? Well, I've got to say it was, uh, for, for a period of time, was uh, uh, an Amazon bestseller. Um, best-selling business book. Um, uh, there's a there's a dearth of really good sources of information for um, people looking for information on in, in insurance technology. Um, yeah, there's there's plenty of vendors uh, like my own company who who are writing things. Um, uh, but people will always look at that as well. Okay, you're writing it from your point of view. You're not necessarily writing it from mine. Um, and, and I fully understand why people would think that. There's um, a lot of things being written by the impartial press, but very often that's um, bylined from people um, like me in, in, in the vendor community. So there's there's nowhere where you can go and, and look at an impartial piece of advice about how to um, develop good technology in the insurance industry. And the InsureTech was, book was a, an attempt to do that, was to take the the best minds in the industry and get everybody to, to write a, a chapter of that. Now, my particular part of that was about robotics. Um, robotics is a really hot subject in insurance at the moment, and I wanted to, to give a real reality check to that so that people understood what they were getting into when they were going to do something in the robotics uh, and insurance area, rather than thinking, oh, wonderful, this is going to solve all of my problems and I can sit back and relax. Um, so making sure that people really did understand, because with all things in insure tech, the devil's in the detail. Um, and my particular element of that book, I just wanted to say, right, this is the detail. This is what you should do. This is what you shouldn't do. This is what to look out for. These are the questions to ask. Um, so it puts 
decision makers in insurance in a position where they're educated and can ask the right questions. And that was the inspiration for the book. Well, tell us a little bit about how the, the tech landscape looks now in insurance, because, I mean, you know, obviously you've had a career, as we said, that's spanned over 30 years. And, you know, if, if we look back over 30 years, I mean, we're talking to a period um, where certainly the Internet was uh, nowhere near used with the frequency that it is now. I mean, you must have seen so much change over this time. Tell us a, a little bit about the sort of the biggest kind of technological changes that you've seen in the industry and, and which ones really stand out for you. Well, you know, it's very interesting that, you know, the the more things change, the more that they return to being the same thing again. Um, when I first came into the industry, we still had computer bureaus where people would share um, access to an IBM mainframe, normally an IBM mainframe, um, because they were too expensive to buy for yourself unless you were a very large corporation. Um, today, um, we have something called cloud, um, which is everybody sharing computer systems. Um, and in the meantime, we've gone off and we've had personal computing and we've come all the way back to, to cloud again. So, it, you know, and there are myriad different um, examples of that um, where technology goes around in big circles and you end up in the same place again almost. Um, there's very good reasons for doing it. And, the, you know, the second and the third and the fourth iterations very often are far better than the first time around. Um, but there's also big structural changes. You've identified the Internet as being one of them. Um, I mean, I, I can remember, for example, in, in communications terms, sitting on industry boards talking about email and was it a secure way for the insurance industry to communicate? Because, of course, you know, people can intercept your email and, and they could change the information in it and then send it on to you. Um, and you don't know that what you've received was, was genuine. Um, all those kinds of things had to be debated, debated and we had to work our way through them. Things which seem pretty obvious now um, were new new technologies which people had to establish that it was safe to use and and, and whatever so you know there's, there's been lots of things like that um i went through the the the, uh, the, the 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 times of comparative quotation and edi in private motor um what i've actually seen is that things normally take a lot longer to come to fruition than people originally expected but very often the effect is far greater than they actually expected when they first set out on the journey. So it's a constant um, reinvention of an invention of technology and change and process. There's only three things you can change in this world, systems, processes, and people. And people tend to think IT is the big problem, but actually it's not. The big problem is changing people. Um, and you know, I, I find that infinitely um, fascinating as well, that um, you can change all the IT you like but you have to bring the people with you when you're trying to make change happen within the business. I love that, that dimension of things. It's really interesting there as well that you sort of talked about that kind of mindset that, that people have, that things you know often take a lot longer um, than they perhaps originally expect. And like you said, that it's, sometimes it's about changing people's minds towards technology as well. And I, mm -hmm. I imagine there are probably a lot of people looking at the landscape as it sits now and they hear all of these sort of, you know, buzz terms like AI, blockchain, the Internet of Things, things like this. And they think, well, mm -hmm. does it really impact me right now? And they've been talking about this for years. You know, this is going to be like flying cars. It's never going to really uh, have an actual impact. And we're not, never going to see it in my lifetime, etc. Um, how would you respond to the people who are looking at sort of those, those sort of technological innovations and, and thinking that you know this doesn't matter to me well that makes me smile paul um i'm sitting here thinking to myself yeah actually i know exactly 
You know, I can picture people who are saying exactly that. But the truth of the matter is we are at a point in time in the insurance industry where more change is happening than, than there probably will ever be and has ever been. Uh, we're at a pivotal moment because for 350 years, the basic business model for insurance has been you pay me a premium at the beginning of the year and don't talk to me for 11 months and two weeks. And then at that point, we'll talk about renewal. Now, in the middle of that, you might have a midterm adjustment. And OK, we'll deal with that. Worst case, you might have a claim. And then, OK, we'll deal with that. But other, one, other than that, I really don't want to talk to you. The model is fundamentally changing now. And, and two things are driving that. One is the Internet of Things. Um, the data and data sources that are constantly flowing out of that and, and other data sources um, are driving things like protection, proactive protection. So the business models are moving away from risk mitigation, I pay you some money and pay a claim if something goes wrong, um, to active, proactive and preemptive risk management. So putting an uh, escape of water device into somebody's house so that you're monitoring every 30 seconds whether there's a water issue. And you know, for 99% of the time, there's no problem. There's no problem. There's no problem. There's no problem. And now there's a problem. You deal with it rapidly. You switch the water off and somebody has a soggy carpet rather than having their ceilings collapse and then all of their belongings ruined. Um, and, and a major claim having to move out the house, et cetera, et cetera. So being able to identify those claims before the customer even knows that a claim event is about to happen um, is, is a key part of what's going to happen with insurance going forward. And that's all going to be technology driven. Um, the whole Internet of Things is going to drive proactive um, risk management and prevention. And then you have ecosystems. Um, ecosystems are the insurance company's ability to, to work with other organizations as part of their ecosystem. So, you know, bookings.com, here's the insurance that goes with that. You've just bought yourself a hotel or a holiday or whatever it might be. Here, you know, you've just hired a car. Insurance is already in there, all part of the deal. Um, being plugged into those ecosystems. And indeed, some insurers already are creating their own ecosystems. Um, and they're plugging those kind of services into the insurance part of it and they're turning the, the whole thing around. So I think insurance is going to become either you know, well-known brands where people trust that brand and they use that ecosystem, or insurance companies are going to be sitting behind other people's ecosystems and just plugging in at the right moment to provide um, sometimes temporary insurance or pay-per-use pay um, insurance um, for the, the currency of the, the interaction with that other organization. So it's becoming a lot more dynamic and that old business model, while it always will be there, is going to change dramatically. Yeah, and I guess, you know, that sort of theory can be applied to the way we do so much in life now from, you know, online deliveries, for example, and expecting those those instant services, um, you know, in, in a way that we perhaps didn't in the past. Um, if you were, I guess, I know, consulting an insurance firm or something like this, and you were just outlining for them the sort of steps that they need to take towards, you know, embracing the technological evolution, if you want, what would those first steps be? What are the things that they need to be ensuring that they're attaching themselves to well there's two elements to that that i would i would say do not have point in time systems um insurance companies have been very very good over the years of buying a, a system which solves the problem that they have right now 
Um, and a lot of that is around policy administration systems, um, but there's other systems as well. Um, and they implement it, and it's great, and it solves the problem. They have they get it over the line to deliver, and everybody has the party, and they go off and do other things afterwards, and they just leave it there for five years, or 10 years, or 20, or you know, in one case that I saw not too long ago, 40 years. Um, now, that's going to change. Um, what insurance companies need to do is to build capability, um, because we don't know what's going to happen in a year's time, or two, or five. Um, and the marketplace is going to change, customers' expectations are going to change, ecosystems and, as I said before, proactive um, risk management is going to change, and they're going to have to change with it. So having some package that worked for you 10 years ago or five years ago or even a year ago to do what it was supposed to do then is not going to hack it. So you have to have a capability which is ultimately agile and responsive and things that you can deliver on it very, very quickly to respond to those changes and be ahead of the game. That's the first thing. As part of all of that, they've also got to implement artificial intelligence because artificial intelligence will dominate the insurance industry. Um, and the kind of in, uh, artificial intelligence I'm talking about is, is very much in the area of real-time interaction management, particularly you know in the engagement point with the customer. Um, and the kind of capabilities that that's going to bring is decisioning, um, decisioning which is instant, and I'm talking here in less than a nanosecond, um, being able to take data, calculate against it um, using an algorithm, and come up with an answer, a decision which is uh, to, um, to assist somebody with something or to offer them something, or what is the next best action that you should be doing, and right there, in the middle of the conversation, this is what I should do now. Whether that's somebody in a contact center talking to the policyholder, or it's a policyholder on a website or using the mobile phone, always making sure that, that it's um, it's centralized and you always get the same answer irrespective of, of, of your interaction um, uh, channel. Um, making sure that it's instant, making sure that it's personalized. So it's not, oh, Tony, you're one of 10,000 policyholders here um, we're going to give you all the same message. Uh, this is about me and my data and what's relevant to me right, right now and personalized to me, and most importantly, relevant to me. Um, so that, um, you know, right now, I've got to say, if I criticize the insurance industry, it will be for sending out mass mailings of information which are not relevant to people. So you're conditioning people to tune out because you look at it and you say, that's not relevant to me. Why should I read that? Next time you say, that's still not relevant to me. I'm not going to read the next one that comes out. And sure enough, the next one comes out and you just delete it. Um, so it's got to be relevant at all times. So instant, personalized, relevant, and centralized. It's also got to be instantly self-learning. So where you are um, delivering good service, you start to do that again and again and again more regularly. Um, and it's also very, very importantly for the insurance industry, got to be ethical. So not only has it got to be compliant with regulation, and AI, believe me, can very rapidly get out of control. There's lots of horror stories about that kind of thing happening. Um, you don't want to be on the wrong side of the regulator. But at the same time, you want to be seen to be ethical and making things get done in an ethical way, which as a brand and as a company, as an insurance company, you can stand there with your head high saying, we've done the right thing here. It's ethical and it's right. So there's a lot of things around AI which um, has to be delivered, but it's going to be the key technology going forward for the next 10, 20, 30 years. 
Well, you, you mentioned the sort of that, that relevance issue, and I'm sure there's probably some insurance brokers who, who might be listening to our conversation now who are thinking, well, you know, everything that Tony's talking about is might be all well and good, but this is for the insurers, it's for the underwriters, it's not really for me. Um, so tell us, do you think that there's any tech that brokers in particular should be paying attention to and and also you know i mean there is that attitude among brokers as well that you know hey everything is better face to face i mean a lot of them have had to adjust um especially during the pandemic to you know talking to people in different ways whether that's through um online platforms like zoom and teams or, or using social media and so on but i think they're all longing to get back to that face-to-face environment so perhaps in you know the minds of some the less tech the better um, I think there's a lot of brokers who will see tech as a, as a threat. Um, but then, you know, there's been lots of threats along the way. You know, when telephone um, insurance came along with you know, Direct Line Group many, many years ago, they saw that as a threat. Before that, it had been the AA and the RAC as motoring organizations coming in and taking the, um, the motor business away. Um, and, you know, every year, two years, three years, there's a new issue which is going to be described as the death knell of the broker. And brokers are still here. You know, having worked with brokers and cut my teeth in the industry with brokers, I know that they're a resilient bunch and they, they adapt very well, very, very well indeed. And, and that uh, you know, idea of thirst for knowledge and innovation, which I was talking about at the, at the beginning, is something that brokers do exceptionally well. They're very agile. Um, and I always think of the, uh, the concept of a, a bionic broker. Um, yes, there's technology. They'll adapt the technology. They'll use the technology and they'll become more efficient, they'll become more effective, they'll get better um, broking opportunities behind them with the insurers they're working to, so that when they're advising their client, they can do it in the best possible way, far better than the next guy who's maybe not using so much good technology and um, not having that delivered to him or her. And and I think there's, um, you know, there's a lot of um, benefit that the broking community will get from more and more and better and better technology. And, and having say, started off my life in broking techno- technology, um, I know where that's headed and I know where um, the brokers can get benefit from it as well. So they shouldn't be frightened. They should be pleased that it's happening. And is there, um, you know, I, I realize this is a, a very sweeping question, but is there any particular um, technology that stands out for you? I mean, you know, like we, like I said to you, I mean, we, we do hear so many um, various forms of tech sort of thrown out there, whether it's AI, whether it's uh, the IoT, whether it's blockchain and so on. Um, but is there something that stands out for you that you would say, yes, this is going to impact the insurance industry. This is what they need to be paying attention to above all else. I think uh, yes and no. Um, AI, as I outlined, I think is a, um, a a massive technology that's going to influence the insurance industry and, and indeed many other industries as well. Um, but particularly, I think the insurance industry because we don't have a tangible product. It's not like manufacturing. Um, AI is using information and data, um, and that's what insurance is all about. So I think AI is going to be the, the predominant technology. But AI alongside other technologies as well, because it's not just about the AI itself, it's how you deliver that technology and, and the benefits of that technology. Um, so, you know, it, it's about the um, deployment of AI and how you utilize it. Um, AI by itself is of limited value. It's about how you utilize it and 
deliver those benefits. And that means that your infrastructure and your architecture has got to be receptive to what AI is able to do for you and then able to respond to that. So as an example, you know, um, we talked about IoT devices. Um, loads and loads of data flowing in every 30 seconds about what's happening with your, with your policyholders out there is mildly interesting. But if you don't do anything with it, then it's not going to benefit anybody. So you have to be able to bring it in. You have to analyze it. You have to understand what that analysis means. You have to decide what decision you're going to make as a result of that. And then you have to have um, an action that comes out of that. And all of that has got to be built in IT because you can't have armies of people looking at loads of data coming in. That's not a human-oriented thing. But the person who's going to action it, you know, after the three years of looking at an escape of water device and it's finally flagging up that there is a problem in this house over there, maybe you do need to have somebody to help with the policyholder to make sure that they are switching the water off right now and dealing with it right now. Um, so that the human interaction with that and the systems to help with that are key to making sure that the AI will work. So it's a holistic thing. Yeah, thank you, Tony. I think I think you've given us some some brilliant insights today. We are um, running a little bit short on time, but I just wanted to go back to what I mentioned um, at the top, which is about your athletic career. Of course, and I appreciate you're no longer competing against the world's best, but you are um, still doing a, a lot to to keep fit, right? What, what's your sort of regime at the moment? Well, you know, um, after sixteen years of, of competitive athletics, the knees take a bit of a bashing. And um, unfortunately, um, I've, I've had to stop um, doing any competitive running. I, I, you know, when I retired, I, I did a few half marathons and, and whatever. Um, but now I'm unfortunately not really able to do that. So um, I'm doing a lot of walking. My wife and I do, do a lot of walking. And, and uh, we've set ourselves a target of, of walking the, um, the South Coast Path. So the South Coast Path runs from, um, from Minehead um, right through to, to Weymouth and, and Bournemouth and uh, right around Cornwall and Devon and Somerset and, 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 and Dorset. It's 630 miles. Um, you do an elevation which is four times the elevation of, um, of Everest. Um, we're not planning to do it all in one go. Um, we're doing it in sections. Uh, we've done about 150 miles so far and um, we're looking to, to do that over, over a period of years uh, to, to walk the whole 630 miles. That is quite the trek. Um, Tony, if anybody wants to, to reach out to you on the back of this conversation, um, maybe to, to get some um, fitness tips from you, I don't know. How can they get in touch? Well, look, I'm, I'm on LinkedIn. Um, you know, it's something that I've been on. I was I think one of the first 50,000 people on, on LinkedIn when it first started. So i uh, been there for a very, very long time. Um, so people can access me. Easy name to find. I'm not difficult. Um, so if anybody wants to contact me, they can they can do it through there or through Pega. I'm, I'm, I'm always available through through Pega Systems. Thank you, Tony. There you go. You're ahead of the game again with LinkedIn. Um, thank you very much for, for joining us today, Tony. Um, to everybody listening, uh, make sure you have your technology ramped up again in one week's time and join us on the next IB Talk. Thank you for listening to IB Talk. For the latest episodes, be sure to follow us on SoundCloud, Stitcher, and Apple Podcasts.